tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Let's go! This is the Big E Sports Show. On the Sports Map Radio Network. From the Sports Map Radio Studios, here's Elissa Walker-Campbell. Okay, we are back. Sports Map Radio Network, the Biggie Sports Show. Hard to believe we are already in hour two. And the conversation is going to continue with our coverage of the NFL, week 10, Cowboys Packers. And Sean, I wanted to ask you one more question about this. Should the Packers bench Aaron Rodgers for Jordan Love? There was a lot of talk about that this week. I think you really should only do that once you're 100% sure. You're not going to make the playoffs if you're the Green Bay Packers. And even then, it might even be as far as you're 100% sure that's the last game that Aaron Rodgers is ever going to play for the Green Bay Packers. And if you're okay with that. Because I I think if you bench him, I mean, Aaron Rodgers already been, I mean, the last two, three years, one of the most mercurial guys in the league as far as for sure. we're not sure if he's ever happy in Green Bay. And then he signs a contract extension with them. So... I think if you make the decision to bench him for Jordan Love, you also have to be prepared to make the decision that in the offseason you're trading Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so don't bench Aaron Rodgers, but how should Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers handle the rest of the season? I mean, I it's something where it's not like they can tank. You know, it's, it's not like, <laughs> I mean, they're already, what, three and six without tanking? What, they're going to be worse. So I think I think they just have to try to just develop something on offense with these receivers because that's really what's been the biggest detriment to them is Aaron Rodgers never has never been on the same page with any of these receivers. We're already 10 weeks into the season, and he hasn't been able to figure out even just one guy that he likes going to in that group. So that and then just try to, again, make sure Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt if that's what you're interested in or if you don't care, just go with it, Jordan Love, just to see what you got in him. Maybe it can be a, an idea of showcasing him, and maybe you can flip him in the offseason for more picks or, again, like I said, bench Aaron Rodgers and then – Jordan Love's the new quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. So here we are at the midpoint of the season. Who looks primed to make a run? The Bills or the Eagles? I mean, who's your current favorite to win the Super Bowl? I, I think the Eagles right now have just answered every question, not just by the fact that they're literally undefeated, mm-hmm. but the, that they just seem like the most complete team, especially with uh, Josh Allen with this elbow injury that seems pretty bad. Uh, or at the very least seems to that'll limit him for the time being. So I, I'll go with the Eagles right now. Good stuff. We got you covered. Week 10 in the NFL. But right now we're going to do a crossover and talk some more college football. Much more coming your way here in Hour 2 at Sports Map Radio Network. Come on back. You're listening to the Big E Sports Show on the Sports Map Radio Network. From the Sports Map Radio Studios, here's Elissa Walker-Campbell. Okay, welcome back. Hour 2, Sports Map Radio Network, the Big E Sports Show. I am Elissa Walker-Campbell. 
Love our listeners and our audience across the country. You can always chime in on the conversation. We are live on Twitter at eRadio Sports. Uh, send us an email, info at eradiosports.com. And perhaps you've missed any of our interviews. We make it so easy. Podcastarena.com. And you can download our app. Take us anywhere, anytime, 24-7. And our Week 11 college football coverage does continue. We're going to focus our attention right now on the ACC, specifically UNC. And thrilled to have back with us the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Tar Heels. And that is Phil Longo. Hello, Phil. How are you doing this morning? I appreciate the invite. You bet. It's good to have you back on with us. And uh, we want to get our listeners up to speed because it has truly been another impressive season for the 15th ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. You guys are currently 8-1. and one. Uh, You face Wake, Wake Forest tonight for a 7.30 Eastern time kickoff on the road. So before we preview the big game, I just want to get your takeaways on how the season has played out up to this point because 2022, it's been really special. It's, it's been a great year. We, we weren't sure. We knew we were going to be very, very athletic and very talented, but we lost a lot of players from last year's team, including um, you know our drafted quarterback and Sam Howell, who has probably finished here as the best quarterback to ever play at North Carolina. And so we had to replace him with uh, Drake May and mm-hmm. a bunch of young skill talent around him and probably the least experienced offensive line that we've had here in four years. And you know, this this youth has responded maturely, and we are playing really, really good football right now. So, Coach Longo, your youth has responded, but why is North Carolina finding success on the road? Because the Tar Heels have had a five-game road winning streak, which is uh, what one of the program's best stretch. So what's been the key to winning on the road? Well, I think we identified the fact that the, the weakness of our team last year was you know, our lack of success on the road. And, uh, you know, we had we had won games here in 1920 on the road and been pretty successful there. And last year it didn't work out that way. And so just took a long look at how we do things from a preparation standpoint, even down to, you know, when the bus leaves and when we fly out and what we eat and when curfew is, all that stuff. And just tried to, you know, probably um, schedule it out and plan it a little bit better so that, you know, we, we, we feel good and we're fresh when we take the field on on Saturday, and of course, you never know the kickoff time until Monday of that week, and then you just, you just plan accordingly. But you know, at the end of the day, we're just playing better football. Mm-hmm. He is the offensive coordinator, the quarterbacks coach for UNC, Phil Longo. You know what? You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Phil Longo. And when I step back and I look at your schedule and your body of work, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems kind of unusual. You guys have been on the road for the sixth time in 10 weeks. Is that true? You guys are road warriors. This will this will be the sixth away game and our last, and we'll actually finish out the the last leg of the season at home against Georgia Tech and against NC State. So tonight's game, obviously, it's very meaningful because you guys are a win away from clinching a trip to the ACC championship game. Uh, so what do we need to know about tonight's matchup? Well, this has been a, a barn burner the last two years. I think, uh, I, you know, I can't recall the exact score, but it, we were, it was 59-55 or 56-53 both years. We trailed by 21 two years ago and came back and won the ball game. And we trailed by 18 last year and came back and won the ball game. And so um, both both offenses have the ability to score points. I think both defenses are are very much improved over the defense that both teams had last year and the year before. And so it should make for a more competitive defensive game. And 
Um, but with with the firepower that both offenses have, I, I think this one is probably going to be quite as exciting as the last two. Well, listen, Phil, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Can't wait. Uh, marquee matchup with your quarterbacks as well, of course. Uh, you guys have Drake May and then Wake Forest, what, Sam Hartman. Yes, ma'am. And they, Sam has been a you know a key cog in their offense and in their program for the last three seasons. And, uh, so, and he finishes up this year, and I know he wants to go out swinging and, and on a positive note. So he'll, they'll all be ready. Wake Forest and Sam Hartman will be ready on on the uh, kickoff this evening. And then, uh, you know, I know that uh, Drake and the offensive guys and our defense and the Tar Heels will certainly be ready. What a season for your quarterback in Drake May. He has responded, posted some big-time numbers. Tell us about him. Pull back the curtain. I mean, what would you, how would you describe him as a competitor? Ultra, ultra competitor. I think, um, you know, if I told him I can get to the door and open it before he can, he'd, he'd compete me. <laughs> Yeah, oh seriously? Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. that, that's just that he, you know he, he grew up with a, a band of brothers, and he's uh-huh. he's the youngest, so he's he's used to competing up. Um, and it's a family of athletes, and just a great character family. And so he's uh, he's had to fight for everything, and then I think um, he's just as competitive as any quarterback I've ever had. And I definitely think think that that lends to his success. You know, Phil, last week, legendary and Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Dick Vermeil was on my program, and we discussed in depth uh, some of the most important traits that you look for in a top-tier, you know, an elite quarterback. And so what are some of those attributes that you look for uh, when you are scouting, recruiting quarterbacks? What do you want? Well, it starts with what we just said. He's, he's super, super competitive. He's also mm-hmm. extremely intelligent. And, you know, very, very rarely do I have to repeat something once I teach it to him. You know, he's able to retain it, learn it, fully understand it. And then, you know, the biggest key is there's a, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that have the, the inherent talent to, to play at this level. And, you know, what they're missing, though, is the ability to learn and understand the game at a high level so that it lends to great execution on the field. And I think uh, being able to take what you know on the board and what you know on film and what you understand and, you know, Bringing that to life on the field is a much more difficult task. And, you know, Drake is, uh, fully resourced with talent in all aspects of quarterback play. And so the fact that he understands it can read defenses, knows our system, knows every position. Um, and he can, he can take that information and it translates on the field at the speed of the game is what I think separates him and makes him really special. So what is your message to him right now? Because he's already in the conversation as one of the nation's top quarterbacks. Uh, he's continuing to thrive under pressure. But uh, what do you talk to him about as far as handling expectations now? Because it's changed. Well, it has changed. And we actually had that, that specific conversation last week. And all, all I said was we took, a, we took a look at the list of things that got him here. And we took a look at a list of the things that are now a part of his life because of how well he's played and because of who he is um, that weren't in his life before. And all of those things are positive things, most of them anyway. Um, but they're also can be, they can be distractions. And so you really, you know, there's an old saying in football, you, you, you know, you dance with who brought you. And that, <laughs> that means you're going to play your best player. They got you here. That's, that's yeah. who you go to on the big down red zone or on third down or on the goal line. And, so what we we were talking about there, the point of the whole conversation was, look, here are the five or six things that got you here. These are the things that we need to maintain our focus on. All of the other outside noise and, and the positive and negative things that come along with 
playing so well and having national recognition, it's all just distraction at this point. And so the focus has to be on what got him down this road in the first place. And I think he's done a good job of doing that. Drake May, the quarterback for UNC, he is a redshirt freshman, and uh, his statistics have just been uh, very impressive. Uh, should he be in this discussion uh, for the Heisman? What say you? Oh, I, I leave that up to everybody else. I'm just Right now, I just want him to execute at a level that gives us a chance to win this next game tonight, and uh, then I'll worry about next week. Sounds good. Offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for UNC. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Coach Phil Longo. Good luck tonight against Wake Forest, and we look forward to another conversation in the month of December. I always appreciate the invite. You have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. You bet. Stick around. Much more coming your way. The fastest two hours in radio, the Big E Sports Show. We will be right back after this quick timeout. Listening to the Big E Sports Show on the Sports Map Radio Network. From the Sports Map Radio Studios, here's Elissa Walker Campbell. Okay, welcome back. Hour two, Sports Map Radio Network, the Big E Sports Show, and the celebration continues as the Houston Astros have won the 2022 World Series four games to two with a 4-1 win over the Philadelphia Phillies last Saturday night before a capacity crowd at Minute Maid Park. It was an incredible night, and I was so fortunate to get to be there and take it all in. Thrilled to have back with us. And we're going to reflect on how the Astros uh, won their second World Series title. Long time. Astros beat Ryder with MLB, 19th season covering the team. And that is Brian McTaggart. Hello, Brian. Hey, Liz, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. And uh, what another, uh, it was a historic run for the Astros. And you've had about a week to kind of reflect on this uh, incredible season. How did they do it? Well, they did it. They did it by pitching. I mean, that was their strong point all year. Uh, you know, they had the best pitching staff in the American League, uh, you know, the best relief core in all of baseball. So when they got to the postseason, that was their strength, and, and they rode that strength. And they were able to move a couple of their starters to the bullpen, and the bullpen was absolutely lights out. Uh, they got the lead um, with the bullpen. The game was pretty much over. They did blow the 5 nothing lead in game one, but those runs were given up by Justin Verlander. So uh, and then they got some timely hitting. Um, so it was nothing different than we saw all season, where they were just getting an elite level of starting pitching, better than anybody else in the league. And it's funny how in 150 years of Major League Baseball, that pitching and defense wins championships, and that was certainly the case with the Astros. It was an incredible atmosphere on Saturday night. I'm sure you had a chance to attend the parade. Like two million fans lined up on Monday uh, to celebrate the Astros. That was incredible in itself. Yeah, it was pretty credible. Uh, yeah, I did get a chance to at- attend the parade. Uh, I got a little bit closer towards the, the end of it, um, but there were still, you know, they had been on those floats for quite a while, and there was still the enthusiasm for the, the trophies and the chants and the signs. It was just a, it was just a big party. And, uh, uh, by, you know, Alex Bregman estimated, I talked to him after the parade, he, he estimated that it was, it was twice as big as far as the amount of fans than, than were there in 2017. So that tells you the, the popularity of the Astros. And, um, you know, they got a little dynasty going here now with, uh, four, uh, trips to the World Series in the last six years and two championships. So, um, they're, they're, they're the best team in baseball. And the thing is, they got a chance to do it again next year. So that's my next question. I mean, how have the Astros been able to sustain this level of excellence? I mean, winning their second World Series title in just six years. Well, what's most incredible about it is that they've lost so many key players 
along the way. From right. that 17 team, they, they lost Charlie Morton and, and Dallas Keuchel. And then in 19, they go back to the World Series. They lose Garrett Cole uh, off that team. They lose Springer after the 20 season, Carlos Correa after the uh, last season. I mean, those are really good players. Um, and they still continue to chug along, which I think is a testament to their player development system, the, the ability to bring in some guys uh, like the Chaz McCormick's of the world, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, not a lot of people had heard of. He was drafted way down in the draft out of a small Division II school, and here he is making big plays in the World Series, replacing George Springer. And then Jeremy Pena, another guy who was drafted a little bit down in the draft out of the University of Maine, another guy that a lot of people didn't know about. And here he is winning the MVP of the ALCS and the World Series and winning a gold glove in his rookie year, which no shortstop has ever done before. So, um, you know, tip your hat to them. But they've also kept a lot of the core players together by signing some of these guys to some deals before they commanded big money in the free agent market. I'm talking about, you know, Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve and even Jordan Alvarez, who signed a six-year contract extension in June right before you know, his season really took off, and that looks like a real bargain right now. So um, they're doing it through player development and spending pretty wisely. And uh, I, I think probably majority of their roster made under a million dollars last year, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Astros beat reporter, MLB.com. That is Brian McTaggart, our very special guest here in Hour 2 at Sports Map Radio. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Brian McTaggart. And uh, does the perception change? I mean, does this lift the weight off the shoulders for the Astros because of the circumstances surrounding their other and their only other title yeah i think for some it will but for for some others it won't i mean yeah they did okay. uh you know they obviously stole some signs in, in 2017 and there was a stain on that championship you know whether you like it or not um you know the players even admitted to that so to, to come back with you know five of those players still on the team as their core and win a world series i think probably validates them a little bit as, as being a great players and a great team. But I think for some people, it's not going to matter that as long as, uh, you know, Bregman and Altuve and Guriel, the colors and Verlander are on the team that, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to appreciate anything the Astros do, but none of that really matters. I mean, I, I think that stuff bothered the Astros in 2020 after it came out. I think by last year they were over it um, as much as they got booed around the league. And I think they're going to continue to get booed around the league just because, you know, as Reggie Jackson said, they, they don't boo nobody. They yeah. Astros they, you know, <laughs> they, yeah. They're the best. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, people are tired of seeing them winning, but they just keep winning. And um, But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they validated a little bit what this era of Astros baseball is all about with this championship. Well, the Astros cruised through the postseason with an 11-2 and record. Uh, I just have to – let's step back for a moment. I mean, what were your expectations coming into the 2022 season? Did you project and anticipate that they could make the full run and win another world championship? I mean, I thought they would win the division pretty easily, and, and they did. Uh, I think they ended up winning by 16 or 17 games, which is pretty remarkable because you had a really solid team in second place in the Seattle Mariners, who they ended up sweeping. Um, as the season went on, and you saw that how their pitching depth come about and that they, they were staying healthy, and they went into the playoffs, and they were as healthy as they'd been all season. Um, I figured they'd make a run. I think, I think the part of the season where I thought they could get to the World Series is where they, they went to New York and played the Yankees four games. And even though they split that series, they, they pretty much dominated the Yankees. Uh, Yankees never led at any point in that series other than, you know, two walk-off wins. And then Yankees came to Houston, played three games. Astros never trailed, won all three of those. And I was like, well, 
if they can dominate the Yankees like that, there's really nobody else in the American League I think that can beat them. And sure enough, they ended up sweeping the Yankees in the ALCS. And uh, But it, I think by mid-June or July, you got the feeling this could be a team that could make a deep run. And you never know what's going to happen to come out of the other side. The team gets hot. I mean, the Phillies got really hot, even though they were they had a record that was 19 games worse than the Astros in the regular season. You just never know what can happen. But, um, you know, Astros did fall behind 2-1 and then, um, you know, their depth and their talent sort of took over in that last three games. You know, Brian, you have highlighted some of the players. Uh, let's talk about the impact of the Astros manager who had never won a World Series uh, as a manager, despite leading five teams to the playoffs. He's 73 years young. What Dusty Baker becomes the oldest manager to win a World Series. Let's uh, highlight his impact. Well, yeah, I mean, he, that's the one thing that was missing from his resume. You know, he, he got 2,000 wins earlier this year, became only the 12th manager to get 2,000 wins of those previous 11. Ten of them are in the Hall of Fame. The only one that isn't is Bruce Bochy, who's still going strong, is now the manager of the Texas Rangers. So that was just sort of the one thing that was missing in 25 years as a manager. And for him to get that, I think it sort of just solidifies his resume as one of the most accomplished managers in Major League history. And that's one of the reasons the Astros – you know, decided to, to bring him back. If you look at what he's accomplished in the three years, two trips to the World Series, uh, winning a World Series, even though he's 73 years old, uh, like you said, 73 years young, he's, uh, <laughs> he's definitely young at heart. And he's a guy yeah. that the, uh, the players love, and, um, you know, it'd be hard to not bring him back at this point. So he will be back for a chance to do it again. And like he said uh, the other day on the podium, he said, uh, when you win one, you want to win two. Yeah. And he says he's spoiled by winning and he wants to keep winning. And he's got a chance to do that next year again. And that really comes through, uh, you know, in person. It just, you know, he's a player's coach, a player's manager. And so just talk to me now about how he was able to stabilize this team because he really did help rebuild the image of the franchise. Well, I think what he did was was sort of be a good public face for everything that went on because he wasn't involved in that. He came afterwards, right. and he was such a beloved mm. man in the game that um, you know the media that came and descended upon spring training in 2020, uh, looking for you know answers, looking to roast the Astros. The first person they talked to was Dusty Baker, and he told them about forgiveness and moving on and. Um, just, you know, focusing on the game. And it was a good message. And at that point, it was up to the players just to play. But um, he was he's just so loved by everybody in the game and even members of the press that um, it was just really hard to stick your fork in the Astros when Dusty Baker is the manager of that team. And, and I think that's why so many people were happy that they won. It's just because, uh, you know, he was put in a tough situation. And he, I think uh, Jim Crane said it last week after they won. He, he says they brought it. We hired him, and he brought us out of the dust bowl, and he, he emerged from the storm, and and now he's you know he's riding down a parade as uh, you know as the king of Houston right now, and he's got the contract to come back next year. Yeah, and I was going to say the good news is that Dusty Baker will return as the Astros manager in 2023. Uh, what about the general manager and James Click? Uh, why was Dusty renewed and not the GM? Well, that's still up in the air. I mean that that should be resolved here shortly. Um, I know that they met before the parade on Monday that James Click met with the uh, owner Jim Crane and, and Crane told him um you know they would ha- they would have to resolve it here soon. I mean Click had to leave to go to Vegas for the GM meetings which okay. ended on Thursday. So um that should be resolving itself pretty soon. I would be surprised just like Dusty if, if Click does not return next year because you know he did make some moves to improve this club by uh you know getting some guys for the bullpen like Rafael Montero and Ryan Stanek. 
both of whom pitch really well this year. And so, he, you know, he deserves a lot of the credit as well. And what is the future as we wrap up our interview with uh, Justin Verlander? Is he coming back? Well, we'll see. He he opted out of his contract on Thursday. He had a $25 million option for next season, and he decided to become a free agent. And so now he's, you know, he's going to get a chance to see what's out there. He's sort of an unprecedented case in that he's going to be 40 years old next year. He, he, he had Tommy John surgery just last year, but he also won the Cy Young this year by going 18-4 and four with a 1.75 ERA. So wow. he's sort of like the Tom Brady of football. He just keeps <laughs> getting better as he gets older. Um, and, you know, what kind of market is going to be out there? I mean, I think Verlander's definitely going to want to go somewhere where he, where he can win. He's going to command a lot of money. He, he wants to go to a big market, and that doesn't leave many teams left other than the Astros who can give him that opportunity. But I, I do think that Jim Crane's going to try to sign him, and um, I think right now I'd probably handicap it as 60-40 that Verlander will return to Houston next year. What an incredible season. It was historic. Astros beat reporter, MLB.com. Check him out. Great stuff on there. And that is Brian McTaggart. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Brian McTaggart. We look forward to talking to you in the spring. Thank you, Brian. Sure, anytime. You bet. Stick around. Much more coming your way. We are headed to the ACC. Going to talk some Tar Heels football here in just a moment. Listening to the Big E Sports Show on the Sports Map Radio Network. From the Sports Map Radio Studios, here's Elissa Walker Campbell. Okay, welcome back. Hour two, Sports Map Radio, the Big E Sports Show. I am Elissa Walker Campbell. Love our listeners, and we especially love when you chime in on the conversation. Always live on Twitter at E Radio Sports Info at eradiosports.com, podcastarena.com, and you can download our app, take us anywhere, anytime, 24-7. This is always one of my favorite segments in our two-hour time slot. We are ready for some PGA news and notes. And how about Russell Henley? He dominated last week and earned his fourth career PGA Tour title and his first in more than five years. So it wasn't even close. Uh, he was uh, he broke the uh, tournament 36-hole scoring record and cruised to that four-shot victory over the weekend. And we are so excited to have back with us each and every week to provide his expert analysis, and that is former PGA pro Larry Miller. Hello, Larry. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Gee, still the golfing weather is still with us. uh, (laughs) and It's not too cold yet. And, uh, yeah, so I've been having fun playing and, um, you know, getting ready for, uh, for the winter season. Yes, it is a beautiful time of year, but... Let's talk about Russell Henley. I mean, what do we need to know about this guy? Because he kind of flies under the radar, and he's coming off a big week and, of course, playing right now in the Houston Open. Yeah, Russell Henley, of course, it's his fourth win, as you said, and, uh, you know, and hadn't won in four years. Uh, but uh, he's one of these guys that he doesn't do anything that's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no part of his game that you would say, is spectacular or eye-catching, but he does everything well. And uh, I think it was Dennis Paulson, 
uh, one day I was on the show with him, and uh, he was talking about Henley and said that he said he's a guy that just doesn't hit any bad shots. You know, he he's not spectacular. He doesn't hit at three thirty and three forty like some of those guys. Uh, you know, he doesn't uh, light up the putting greens. You know, with twenty five or six putts, um, but but he doesn't do anything bad. You know, he does everything well. He drives it consistently uh, in a fairway, not as long as some of the others. Uh, his approach shots, his, his greens and regulation are way up there. You know, he doesn't knock it close all day, but he hits greens. And, you know, he's, he's got a pretty good short game. Well, so here's the thing. So when his putter gets hot, a guy like that, that's when a guy like that can win, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, somebody that just doesn't uh, do anything crazy spectacular, but when he does have that putter going and has 26, 27 putts, then look out because he's so steady. And that's the kind of game he play, you know, he plays. But, uh, but he is a, uh, a very, very good ball striker in terms of hitting the ball solid. And here's the big thing with golf. It's, it's, if, if there's a secret to golf, here it is. It's how good are your misses. And when your misses are not too bad, that's when you can score. Uh, the right. secret to scoring is how good are your bad shots. And uh, his bad shots are not very bad. You know, he, if he misses a green, it's not by much, typically, and he's got a pretty easy up and down. And so I think it's that steadiness and that consistency that makes him such a, a good player. And, he, you know, he's a high finisher, too. He hasn't won in four years, but he's had a lot of good finishes, um, you know, thanks to his, his, his consistent play and his steadiness. Hey, we are so glad you're with us. Hour two, Sports Map Radio Network, the Big E Sports Show. He is a life member of the PGA of America, author of four books on golf and performance, a former PGA pro, and that is Larry Miller. We are recapping last week's uh, big win for Russell Henley. He sashays on down 18 in that final round with a four-shot lead. And I just got to ask you, you know, we're talking about it's been four or five years before he's had a win, since he's had a win, how tough is it to win on the PGA Tour? It's never been tougher. And I'll tell you, this new wave of young players, you know, there's been a changing of the guard that's been happening slowly, and it accelerated when a lot of the superstars jumped over to live golf. Um, So that opened the door for even more uh, of the wave of these new young players that, that all these guys... You know, at any week, any of them can win. And I, I mean, I could go down the list. It would take me an hour to go down the mm-hmm. list of these guys, uh, just like Henley, Troy Merritt, Scott Piercy. I mean, on and on and on. And so there is a definite changing of the guard in golf. Uh, now we still got the, you still got the McElroys, you know, and the Justin Thomas and, uh, and, and the, and that group that is still, uh, and at least in the rankings, you know, way up at the top, number one, two, or three in the world. But in terms of who can win every week, um, it's it's up for grabs. And yes, it is difficult to win for that reason because so many people can win, and so many people are shooting low scores. And so, really, it's the guy who it used to be the guy who puts the best that wins. Now. It's not that anymore. Now it's the one who hits it the best and putts the best because there's so many of them. So, yes, it's gotten much tougher to win on the PGA Tour than it used to be. When I played, mm-hmm. there, there were only 20 or 25 guys that could win. 
And now, what's wow. the field? 156? All of them can win. Anybody in the field can win. And so, I mean, you see amateurs, you know, that uh, come out of college, turn pro right away, get on the tour, and then they're ready to win, and they often do. Uh, just like uh, look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the kid from Texas that uh, his name's escaping me, but one of the brothers, uh, Cody. Oh, the Cootie brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cootie, yeah. Parker Pearson. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he jumped right out on the corn ferry, and he won his first tournament. And that that just shows you how ready they are to win. And so, uh, so yeah, um, you know, if you win on the PGA Tour today, boy, you, you've, you've accomplished something. So we're talking about how difficult it is to win on the PGA Tour and recapping Russell Henley's big win last week. But what's interesting is when you kind of break down uh, that tournament, he had to sleep on the lead both nights. There were two nights he had to do that. And so uh, let's go into that as far as our conversation. How difficult is it to sleep on the lead and to be, you know, fresh, ready to go and not feel the pressure and allow it to get to you? Well, you know, you try to put it out of your mind, but you can't. And I guarantee you, you know, you lie in bed the night before that, that next round and you're thinking, you know, you, you're thinking, what do I have to do to maintain this lead? You know, how, how, how many greens do I have to hit? How many putts do I have, do I have to have? And you're going over and over and over again. Cause you know, you know that one bad hole and you've been overtaken by somebody and it's very difficult. Now, you know, coming up 18 with a four-shot lead, now that's really nice. Uh, you can breathe easy. you got a, a bunch of shots to play with. Yeah. And what that does is that it gives you freedom to swing. Um, you know, when you, have, when you have doubt about something, then that doubt becomes a fear. And that fear becomes tension. And tension in the golf swing, as we know, is fatal to the golf swing. It just destroys the golf swing. So you, you can't, you know, and that's nerve wracking to, to be sitting on a one shot lead or a two shot lead because, uh, you know, you just don't have that same freedom that you do when you got a big lead. And when you got that freedom, you're swinging free and easy. Uh, there's no hitches in your swing and you're probably going to hit good shots. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and a beautiful thing. See, yeah. Sure. And that's why you see people with a one-shot lead that start go to pieces and the wheels come off. It's because the tension sets in because the fear is there. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle, and, and uh, the, the only way to overcome that, as we've talked about many times, is to stay in your process, stay in your bubble, and take it one shot at a time as if each shot is a separate golf tournament. And if you look at it that way, uh, then you stay in the present and you don't really – let fear get into you because you don't, you know, when you, when you have an idle mind in golf and you start thinking about things like out of bounds and water hazards and bunkers and, you know, because you start looking around and seeing all these things. But, but when you stay in your, in the moment, stay in your process, then you don't think about those things. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, to provide some instructional advice. I mean, what would you say to one of your students that has a lead? Uh, and, you know, what do they need to be thinking about as they approach that next round? Because pressure and performance, I mean, it's real. It's, it's where do I want the ball to go on my next shot? On the shot that I'm playing right now, where okay. do I want that ball to go? And you've got to focus on a specific target uh, area, whether it's a, a, a drive off the tee that you're, you know. They asked Ben Hogan one time, they said, what do you look at? When you're on a par four that's 470 yards and there's water on the left, water hazard on the left, and out of bounds on the right, fairway bunkers down the right side, 
said, what, what are you looking at? And Hogan replied that I'm looking at about a 10-yard circle in the center of the fairway. That's all he saw. Yeah. He just saw a circle in the middle of the fairway, 10, 10 yards wide. That was his landing area where he wanted the ball to finish. And, uh, you know, other players who don't have the same confidence or freedom that Hogan had, well, they would be saying things like, well, don't hit it to the left in the water, keep it to the right, and, you know, don't overdo it because you'll hit it out of bounds and things like that, instead of focusing on the one positive landing spot for the ball. Larry Miller with us. Just a few more minutes here at Sports Map Radio Network, the Biggie Sports Show, an hour two, former PGA pro. We're talking about what it's like to sleep on a lead, and uh, you're providing some advice. But I have to wonder, what would it be like to sleep on a lead at the Masters? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Uh, well, I think you can take sleep out of the equation. I, think, yeah. I don't think you're going to sleep on the lead. I think you're going to think about the lead all night long. Uh, that would be a really difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, the, the tournaments that I've won in my life, um, you know, only one time did I have a big lead going to the last hole. And I can tell you, it is just a world of difference having that lead versus, you know, being tied or a one-shot lead. It's a world of difference in your, in your, your state of mind and your sanity. But, uh, uh, but, you know, the more times you're in that position, just like everything else, uh, the, the more that you adapt to it and get used to it and get a little more comfortable. But you never get totally comfortable sitting on a lead. But it, uh, it can get better if you put yourself in that position enough times. So how do you create that environment when you're practicing back home so you can be prepared when you're in the lead that you're uh, comfortable being uncomfortable? Because that is a process to learn how to close out a tournament. I mean, I've seen it through my sons. Well, because when you're practicing, you know, you have to uh, – most people, when they practice on the range and hit balls, they they do it too quickly. They hit balls too fast, one after the other. And what you need to do – and here's another lesson from Ben Hogan, uh, that he would practice as if he were playing the golf course. A lot of times he would he would picture himself on the first hole. Let's say it's a par four, driver and an iron. He would take out his driver, imagine he's in that, on that tee box looking down the fairway, and he would play his drive the way he wanted to on that hole. Then he would select the iron out of his bag that he would probably play to that green, and he would play to a, a practice green or imaginary green with that shot. So he was practicing the way he wanted to play, and that's the key to it, is uh, not just hit balls one after the other like a machine gun, you know, bam, bam, bam. That doesn't do anything for you. That's just exercise. But real practice is when you're practicing for the way you're going to play. Our PGA News and Notes continues with Larry Miller after this quick break. You're listening to the Big E Sports Show on the Sports Map Radio Network. From the Sports Map Radio Studios, here's Elissa Walker Campbell. Hey, welcome back. Hour two, Sports Map Radio Network, the Big E Sports Show. Right now, let's go back inside the ropes with former PGA pro and author Larry Miller. The Houston Open, it is underway at Memorial Park Golf Course, and I actually have not been there and walked the course, and I understand it's over 7,400 yards these guys are playing, and it requires solid ball striking and some big-time putting. What do you know about Memorial well, what I know about it is that it transformed from an easy golf course into a very difficult one when they re- redid it. And uh, and so, 
you know, years ago, uh, it was one of those courses on tour where it was a birdie fest. And, uh, boy, now it's going to be, uh, you know, can you make a couple birdies during the round? It's going to be a tough test for these guys. And depending on the weather, if it gets a little chilly and get a little wind, uh, it's going to be very difficult. Um, but if you get benign conditions, uh, even on a tough golf course these days, as good as these young guys are, somebody's going to going to go low and put up some good rounds. But it's going to be a good test. I think the uh, the viewing audience uh, for this tournament is going to enjoy it because they're going to be able to relate to some of the shots they're going to see uh, on this the tough golf course. Well, the Houston Open has only been at Memorial Park. It's hosted it uh, two times. And... Uh, like when you look at the scores, 10 and under or, you know, 10 under or better has uh, been the best score. So it, it's not easy to score. Do you have a favorite uh, player, Scotty Scheffler? Who you got? I like Scheffler. I think he you know, had a pretty good finish there this last week. Uh, I think he was, what, 18 under and, and uh, he was, you know, he had a he, he didn't have a chance to win, but he was right up there in the top four or five players. And, uh, and, I, and you know, on the show last week, I was saying I expected a good year out of him yes. coming back cause I, because I think he's going to maintain his desire, his hungerness to win. So I'm looking for him. I, I think he's a really good selection for this tournament because he's a good, good ball striker, and he plays, he plays difficult course as well. So I like him. Uh, Russell Henley, I don't know. The course might be a little long. Uh, for the for the way he drives the ball, but uh, but if the putter stays hot like it did last week, then he he should be up in the top ten at least. We are up against the clock. Former PGA Pro author Larry Miller joins us each and every week. You can check out his website at LarryMillerGolf.com. And of course, next week we got to talk about Tiger Woods as he announced his return after a long absence, and we're looking forward to some of his play and tracking him. Let's enjoy the uh, next tournament and. Uh, Try to get out and enjoy before it gets too cold. Play some golf. That, of course, was Larry Miller, former PGA pro, that joins us each and every week. A big thank you to all of our amazing guests. Enjoy all the college football and NFL games, and we'll see you next weekend for the biggest, the best in sports, the Big E Sports Show. So long, everybody. Don't drink and drive. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in in a few minutes. (laughs) Instacart for the win. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.